Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Finals Countdown series which is brought to you by MedTalks. This episode is part of the respiratory section where we are providing short and succinct and super useful revision talks for medical students on common medical conditions across all specialities. And today we'll be talking about sarcoidosis. My name is Sahil and I'm a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. So, sarcoidosis is quite a complicated condition with multiple manifestations. It's a multi-systemic chronic inflammatory condition and its characteristic feature is the formation of non-caseating granulomata at various sites in the body. Sorry, what? What does that even mean? So granuloma is a group of macrophages that forms during a process of inflammation. The immune system identifies a foreign body, examples being bacteria and fungi, and attempts to eliminate it. However, it doesn't quite do this. Instead, it walls off this body with the macrophages. And these granulomas form in many conditions such as TB, leprosy, schistosomiasis, and sarcoidosis. And the non-caseating, also known as non-necrotizing, means that the granuloma is not associated with necrosis or necrotic changes. In some conditions, these granulomas are focal points of necrosis, such as in TB, where there are caseating granulomas. But in most cases of sarcoidosis, the granulomas are non-caseating, so there is no necrotic tissue, but there are areas of fibrosis. And breathe. Okay, so these granulomas form at various sites within the body, but most commonly within the lungs and lymph nodes in the thoracic cavity. So who gets sarcoidosis? Typically people with tw between 20 and 40 years old, but it can be younger or older. And higher rates of the condition are reported in African Americans and European slash Scandinavian people. The thorax is most commonly affected, then the eyes and skin, then the liver, then the heart, and finally the nervous system. There is no obvious cause for the condition, and the hypothesis is that some people are genetically susceptible, and when there is an environmental, infectious or occupational insult, this triggers the immune system abnormally to cause these granuloma formation. Okay, so how does sarcoidosis present? Well, the presentation is highly variable, and it depends on the ethnicity, the length of the illness, and the degree of organ involvement. Some may be asymptomatic and have the condition diagnosed on routine x-ray, and we'll talk about the x-ray findings shortly. Others may have non-specific symptoms and signs, such as fatigue, general malaise, fever, and cachexia. Acute, com acute presentations are more common in the Caucasian populations, and African patients have more serious respiratory symptoms. So it can cause constitutional upset, so things like fever, night sweats, malaise, fatigue and weight loss. And over 90% of the people with the disease have pulmonary involvement, where it can cause a dry cough, dyspnea and chest discomfort. And a restricted pattern is shown in spirometry due to the diffuse damage to the lung parenchyma. The skin is also commonly affected and there are numerous dermatological manifestations of sarcoidosis, such as maculopapular rashes over the body or the extremities, papules over the face which resemble rosacea, erythema nodosum on the legs, and this is inflammation of fat cells beneath the skin which present as tender red lumps, and lupus perneo, which is a purplish raised hardened area of skin typically seen on the face, so the nose, ears, lips, cheeks and forehead. 
The eyes can also be affected, mainly a granulomatous uveitis, so inflammation of the uvea, and the uvea is composed of the iris, the ciliary body, and the choroid. This can lead to blurred vision, mild pain, eye tearing, and mild sensitivity to light. Retinal inflammation can also occur, and the most severe complication is blindness. These granulomas can form within the nervous system, and infiltration into nerves can cause a spectrum of neurological manifestations, known as neurosarcoidosis, so Bell's palsy, meningitis, and diabetes insipidus. Sarcoidosis can also affect the heart, causing cardiomyopathy, which can lead eventually to heart failure. Significant liver involvement is rare, however it can cause deranged LFTs, and lymphadenopathy is common, occurring in around 15% of cases. The lymph nodes within the thoracic cavity are mainly involved, particularly the hyalur lymph nodes, but also paratracheal, cervical and axillary. The endocrine system is affected with hypercalcemia and hypercalciuria, or high levels of calcium in the urine. And this occurs due to the effects of the granulomata on vitamin D metabolism. This causes bones, moans, stones, and groans, the well-known manifestations of hypercalcemia. Parotid enlargement may also occur, usually bilaterally, and present with facial swelling and a dry mouth. Effect, the, G, the gastrointestinal system is very rarely affected, perhaps in about 1% of people. In terms of the hematological system, lymphopenia is the most common abnormality seen on blood tests, but it's not very specific. Anemia can occur in around 20% due to granuloma formation within the bone marrow. And thrombocytopenia is rare. In terms of musculoskeletal system, inflammatory arthritis with soft tissue swelling, synovitis, dactylitis or inflammation of the digits, osteopenia and myopathy. Well, that was a lot. So basically, sarcoidosis can pretty much affect every system within the body. Just remember the most common features. Okay, so how is it possibly diagnosed? Well, a thorough history and especially examination is required of all the body systems. And what things would you look out for on examination? Let's start with the skin. So full skin examination, look for any characteristic rashes, looking for any lupus perneo and erythema nodosum. Moving on to the eyes, any sign of uveitis, dry eyes, and we may need a slit lamp examination for this. Musculoskeletal system, it may have painful joints and painful muscles. In terms of head and neck, patients may have lymphadenopathy and salivary gland swelling. In terms of the abdomen, patients may have hepatosplenomegaly. Cardiovascularly, the cardiovascular system can be affected where there are signs of cardiomyopathy, arrhythmias and signs of heart failure. And in terms of respiratory, does the patient have any scattered crepitations? So that's the clinical part to the diagnosis. We need confirmation of the non-caseating granulomas with a biopsy, unless there are very specific clinical findings present. We also need to exclude any alternative causes for these symptoms. Let's start with some simple blood tests. A full blood count may show anemia, raised white blood cells, eosinophilia or lymphopenia. The ESR or the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, a marker of acute inflammation, is raised in around 65% of cases. The serum calcium is elevated in 10 to 15% of cases, and a 24-hour urinary calcium may show hypercalciuria. Phosphate and alkaline phosphatase may also be raised. LFTs may be deranged. And interestingly, the serum ACE, 
is elevated in around 60% of patients with acute disease and it reduces in response to treatment or resolution. The tuberculin skin test is negative, or also known as a Mantu test, and if it's positive we need to consider possibility of TB being the diagnosis. Moving on to imaging, a chest x-ray will show bilateral hyla or paratracheal lymphadenopathy and a high-resolution CT, ch CT chest will show some interstitial lung disease. In terms of lung function tests, it will show a restric restricted pattern, especially in severe cases. We can do an ECG and it may show arrhythmia secondary to hypercalcemia and we may need to do a 24-hour rhythm check. For pulmonary disease, we should do a bronchoalveolar lavage this is a diagnostic method of the lower respiratory, tractus, lower respiratory system in which a bronchoscope is passed through the nose or the mouth into an appropriate airway in the lungs and a measured amount of fluid is introduced and then collected for examination. And the findings from bronchoalveolar vage show an increased lymphocytes and a raised CD4 to CD8 ratio. A transbronchial biopsy will show a non-caseating granulomata. Skin biopsy will also show a non-caseating epithelioid granulomata and if patients have neurological signs and symptoms then a CT head or MRI may show granulomata within the central nervous system or neurosarcoidosis. We can stage the pulmonary involvement using chest x-rays from 0 to 4, 0 having normal findings, 1 showing bilateral hyalolymphadenopathy, 2 showing bilateral hyalolymphadenopathy with pulmonary infiltrates, 3 showing parenchymal infiltrates without hyaloadenopathy and four showing parenchymal involvement which turns into volume loss or pulmonary fibrosis and possibly other features including cavitations, calcifications. And this is the end stage disease, so end stage pulmonary fibrosis. Finally let's look at how sarcoidosis is managed. If there's bilateral hyalinfadenopathy, then patients don't need treatment because most will recover spontaneously. But the acute treatment is bed rest and NSAIDs. Indications for steroids are parenchymal lung disease, whether it's symptomatic, static or pro progressive, uveitis, hypercalcemia and neurological or cardiac involvement. And we give patients prednisolone, 40 milligrams once a day for between four and six weeks, and then a reduced dose over about a year according to their clinical status. But if they have severe illness, then we should give them intravenous methylprednisolone or other non-steroidal immunosuppressants may be required. And these might be methotrexate, azathioprine, mycophenolate. If we're unable to, to successfully treat with either steroids or the alternatives, then we can try anti-TNF monoclonal antibodies. Patients will need to be on bisphosphonates if they're taking steroids for bone protection. For eye sarcoidosis, we can use topical steroids, oral or intraocular steroids. But if they have acute optic neuritis, then we should use high-dose intravenous steroids. And for joints, we should use NSAIDs before steroids or other immunosuppressive treatments. In terms of prognosis, in some patients the disease will, sp disease will spontaneously resolve. Some may have chronic or progressive disease with resultant morbidity. 20% have permanent clinical symptoms due to the irreversible fibrosis. So that's the end of today's talk on sarcoidosis. I hope you found it useful and I hope you've learnt a lot. Please remember to leave us some feedback and you can do that on the iTunes Apple Podcast channel or on any of the podcast platforms. 
You can also feel free to message us on Instagram or on Facebook via our channels, which is at medtalks.uk. And you can email us, and our email address is hellomedtalks at gmail.com. Check out all of our other episodes, both in the respiratory and the cardiology series. And in the next episode, we'll be talking about pulmonary tuberculosis. So stay tuned for that one. Thanks again for listening and see you in the next one. Goodbye.